Ginger and I used to have a dog, a dog named Shadow, a beautiful golden retriever. It was part of our family life, an important part of our family life when our children were much younger. And he got his name because he was such a shadow to one of our daughters. You could never see them separate from each other. And he was a great part of our family. Here's the thing about Shadow. If you ever spoke the word walk, he was by the door. If he ever heard the word, he was up and waiting and watching and just ready for you to bring the leash and go out the door with him. It was what motivated him. One little word, walk, and he was ready to go at attention with anticipation and it shaped his life with us. What is it that motivates us? What gets our attention? What gets us focused and responsible for faithfulness? We're all ministers, remember. What is it that motivates us? Before I went to seminary, some of you know that I was a history teacher and a lacrosse coach. Our team had some pretty good players, but in our league, we were kind of an average team. So as a coach, I spent lots of energy and thoughtfulness trying to find ways to motivate our players, to get the very best out of our players. And sometimes it meant yelling and screaming. Other times it meant devising new plays and schemes. And sometimes it meant praising them and pampering them and rewarding them. And it took all of these approaches to try to keep them motivated. This is what we do as parents, for sure. Sometimes what motivates is a big hug. Sometimes what motivates is a reward. Sometimes it might be a threat or uh, a warning or maybe even a grounding different tactics different words different messages different approaches to motivate us in the callings and in the challenges and in the seasons of life our lord jesus seemed to know about the challenges of motivating people his parables and his teaching show different styles and different approaches to motivating disciples today's passage is especially challenging Listen to Matthew 25, beginning with verse 14. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of these slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents. 
saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the one who had two talents also came forward saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I've made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy slave! You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And as for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Theologian and writer Phyllis Tickle calls this parable one of the most difficult and contrary passages in the whole canon. And she says it is fraught with unattractive paradox. The unattractive paradoxes here have to do with Jesus seemingly encouraging people to use the ways of the world to increase wealth and status for themselves as these first two slaves did. The unattractive paradox is surely about the harsh condemnation of the third slave You know, we all depend on and celebrate a God of grace and mercy. And instead of grace and mercy, this slave is called wicked and lazy and then thrown into the outer darkness. And another unattractive paradox, no doubt. What about all of Jesus talk about the last shall be first and blessed are the poor, full of unattractive paradox indeed this parable but then remember there are lots of ways to be motivated and sometimes even Jesus brings out the harshness Jesus wants to make a very strong point it matters what we do with what we've been given This is a parable not about wealth and money. This is a parable about responsibility. What do we do with what has been given to us? God is serious about that question. Jesus pushes hard on that question and wants to motivate us. We are to use what we've been given for the goodness of the world and for the glory of God. 
One of my favorite passages of all of Scripture comes from Romans where it says, none of us lives to himself and none of us die to himself. Whether we live, we live to the Lord and whether we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. That's a passage that wants to motivate us for faithful, responsive discipleship. The great theologian of grace and courage, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, said that the real sin, the dangerous sin, especially for people, respectable people like us, is running away from responsibility. Bonhoeffer, you recalled, was the extreme Christian pacifist pastor who took up his responsibility and he rejoined the resistance movement against Hitler in Germany in that day. This pacifist even helped to plan the assassination of Hitler. His sense of responsibility cost Bonhoeffer his very life, unlike the third servant. He was motivated not by caution and not by fear, but by conviction and service. God always wants to motivate us for faithful work in God's world. What do we do with what we've been given? How might God be motivating us in these particular days? This parable and others like it remind us that Jesus has high expectations for us. Jesus expects us to be responsible with what we've been given and there are no exceptions no exceptions as we see with the third servant who buries the talent fear is not an excuse we might be tired we might be even unemployed we might be struggling we might be mourning the loss of a loved one or sitting in a chemo chair or facing the prospect of a long and dark winter with this horrific global pandemic, but we still have the duty of making something of the gifts that God has given us. Jesus wants to motivate us all for responsible faithfulness. Some of you have heard the amazing story about Le Chambon in France during the Second World War. The story involves the Reverend Andre Trocma and his wife Magda, French Protestants who lived in that tiny mountain village and along with their townsfolk, they provided refuge and when possible, even escape from the Nazis for Jews and for others uh, fleeing Nazi persecution. Although the Trocmas and other Villagers were under surveillance during that whole time. They quietly continued their rescue efforts throughout the whole war. Ultimately, their investment of personal risk and their investment of gospel love yielded an enormous reward. Between 1940 and 1944, the villagers of Le Chambon saved the lives of more than 5,000 Jews, many of them children and many others fleeing persecution from the Nazis. Years later, Magda Trogma was interviewed by those who found it hard to fathom such courage, such risk. And she said this about 
her choices. And I quote, Remember, remember that in your life there will be lots of circumstances where you will need a kind of courage, a kind of decision on your own, not about the other people, but about yourself. And I would not say more. End quote. What a fascinating review of a life-changing, life-saving undertaking. Magda Trokma insists the rescue efforts in Le Chambon were not about the people that they were helping only. Those Jews flee fleeing persecution, it was not only about them, it was also about the rescuers themselves. They each had a decision to make. What would they do? Who would they be? Would they be cautious and passive? Would they be self-protective and fearful? Or would they be enactors of Christ's message of love and hope? No matter the risk, the villagers of Le Chambon chose the risk. And as Christ's people, that was their responsibility. And as Magda Trokma concludes, what more is there to say? Across the recent months, many of us have learned lots and realized lots about white privilege, about systemic racial injustices in our land. We've learned lots about our history, certainly lots about our church's history, maybe even learned about our family's history and our complicity in racial injustice. We've learned afresh about the deep fissures in our society uh, affecting people of color uh, so disproportionately, this pandemic, obviously. I think we have fresh decisions to make about ourselves, about our faith, about our lives as Christians regarding all these matters facing our nation. Will we be enactors of Christ's message of love and hope, or will we be cautious, protective, fearful, like the third servant in this parable? What will we do with what we've been given? Jesus seeks to motivate us to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly. I've been reading the latest book by Jonathan Sachs. It's entitled Morality, Restoring the Common Good in Divided Times. Many of you know how much I love reading books by Jonathan Sachs, who served for such a long time as the chief rabbi of the United Kingdom. Sadly, Jonathan Sachs died this past week, and it's a great loss to the whole world. Sachs's latest book calls for us to move from the politics of me to the politics of us. When we do that, he says, we discover these life-transforming, counterintuitive truths that a nation is strong when it cares for the weak, that it becomes rich when it cares for the poor, that it becomes invulnerable when it cares for the vulnerable. He says, if we care for the future of democracy, we must recover the sense of shared morality that binds us to one another in a bond of mutual compassion and care. 
There's no liberty without morality. There's no freedom without responsibility. There's no visible I without the sustaining we. Today in our church is a great day of celebration. I hope you'll come downtown on 5th Street. The street will be closed and at 2 o'clock we're going to rejoice. We're going to rejoice in our 175 years as a dynamic church in this location seeking to serve in this city and serve in the world. We're going to celebrate the completion of a $5 million capital campaign shining the light of God's grace. And that campaign strengthens us to do God's work and to worship and serve and bear God's light for many years going forward. We're part of a great legacy and we're seeking to keep on with faith hope and love we're also dedicating our lives afresh as we carry on and move forward our gifts our calling our motivation our lives in God's service is so important to Jesus to God's work in this place Jesus is absolutely interested in our motivation as disciples who serve. Jesus demands our responsible faithfulness. What a calling. What a privilege. It's ours. I want to conclude this with a poem from Mary Oliver. It's entitled Moments. There are moments that cry out to be fulfilled. Like telling someone you love them or giving your money away, all of it. Your heart is beating, isn't it? You're not in chains, are you? There is nothing more pathetic than caution when headlong might save a life, even possibly your own. May we all be motivated for bold, responsible faithfulness following Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, to turn from you is to fall. To turn to you is to rise. To stand with you, to serve you in responsible faithfulness. Well, that, O Lord, is to abide forever. We seek that way, following Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.